No one likes pretending, right? Who has fun when you have to pretend? When you have to fake it? Maybe. Okay. <laughs> but sometimes you meet people in life who seem exhausted because they've had to make up their own meaning or we've been told that there really is no meaning. And if you want some, God can't give it to you. So you'll have to do it yourself. And that's exhausting because we weren't meant to do that. We weren't made to do that. Our hearts are made for more than that. Our hearts are meant to receive a call and to receive help with that call. And what we commemorate in the saints is not that there is a special class of people who are different from us, who got something done better than we did, and we're celebrating them. What we celebrate is that every human life, when it's given over to God, becomes radiant. That's what we call holiness, and it's what every one of us is called to. So here are the stories of just two saints Regular human beings who had flaws and problems, who had temptations and sins, but whose lives lit up when they let Christ in. <clears throat> the first is St. Gianna Beretta Mola. She died in 1962, and she was a medical doctor. Think about how many female doctors there probably were in Italy in the 50s and 60s. Not very many. She was really bright, and she had a medical practice. And when she was pregnant with her fourth child, uh, doctors found a tumor uh, close to the end of her pregnancy. And they gave her uh, three options, two of which would have taken her daughter's life, uh, and one of which could uh, preserve her daughter's life and maybe preserve uh, Gianna's, uh, but that could result in medical complications for Gianna. And when it mattered most, at a time of a really difficult decision, uh, the gifts that Gianna had that she had given over to God, her medical expertise, gave her a kind of uh, insight and wisdom and also a willingness to sacrifice. It was really extraordinary. And she told doctors, uh, you can remove the tumor, I want the third option, uh, but if you have to choose, save my daughter. And she survived the initial operation, um, but died a couple of weeks later from complications. But her daughter, who was born, Gianna Emanuela, uh, she also became a doctor. And when St. Gianna was canonized in the 90s, it was the first time ever that a saint's husband was present when she was canonized. The second person is Blessed Peter Kibe. Buckle up, this is a crazy story. It's got kind of three parts. So, part one. Blessed Peter Kibe was born in the late 1500s in Japan. Uh, throughout the 1500s, there had been Jesuit missionaries who came to Japan and spread the gospel, and people in Peter's family were Christians. He grew up Christian, and he decided that he wanted to become a Jesuit. 
So he lived with the Jesuits kind of in an internship during more or less high school or college. He lived in community with them and kind of did work with them, shared in their ministry because he wanted to become one. And at the end of eight years, the superior of that community, when he asked to become a Jesuit, told Peter, you can't become a Jesuit. We don't think you have the perseverance it takes for this vocation. Bye. Uh, but soon after that, the Jesuits were expelled by the Japanese government and had to go to China. And uh, Peter willingly went with them. He didn't have to go. And when he was in China, he applied to a Jesuit seminary uh, that was training missionaries to go to Japan and because they really needed missionaries. But they told him, Japan really needs missionaries right now, but we don't think it's time for native missionaries. So you can't go to seminary. He was the victim of discrimination. So then he went to India and was rejected from entering a Jesuit seminary there too. So he did what anyone would do in that situation. He said, I'm in India. I'm just going to walk to Rome. It's only 3,700 miles. And while I'm at it, I mean, it's the early 1600s, so you can't get anywhere too fast. So if you're going to go to Rome from India, you may as well just walk to Jerusalem too while you're at it. So he walked to Jerusalem. He became the first Japanese person ever to enter Jerusalem. And spent some time there. People realized, dang, this guy's pretty legit. So then he went to Rome. And in Rome, he was, uh, he was ordained. And his superiors made a special exception that he was able to skip part of his formation uh, as a Jesuit because he convinced them that there was such a huge need for missionaries, but especially for native missionaries uh, in Japan. So that's part one. That probably took about 15 years. <laughs> so part two, he's going back to Japan. So, you know, it's still the early 1600s, so it takes him another two years after he's ordained just to get back to China. And once he gets to China, he wants to sail to Japan. Uh, but understandably, ship captains are not eager to send him there because they know that Christians are illegal in Japan, especially priests, and that they're going to get in trouble if they send a priest over. Uh, even if, I mean, if somebody finds out, like, oh, you were hiding a priest, not good. Not good for business. So they won't give him a ride. So then he gets chased, as one does, by pirates to Thailand. And he spends some time there, and they also won't give him a ship to go to Japan. And so he just decides, eventually, that he's going to build his own ship. So he just builds his own ship so he can become a missionary in Japan. And just as he is about to leave, the ship gets infested with termites. But blessed Peter Kibe is really, he hasn't wasted all this time just to get his ship eaten by termites. So he plugs the holes, he tells the, the crew of the ship, it doesn't matter, we're going. So they plug the holes, they start going, and there's a typhoon. And the typhoon washes them on shore in Japan in the exact spot where Jesuit missionaries landed 80 years before when they first came to Japan. Part three. Blessed Peter Kibe ministers quietly, in secret, for nine years as a priest going around to these rural communities, often that were uh, hiding in the forest, 
Uh, if you want to learn more about this, uh, there's a really interesting novel by a Japanese novelist named Shusako, Shusaku Endo uh, called Silence. Uh, Martin Scorsese made uh, a movie based on the novel, also called Silence. It came out a couple of years ago. Uh, and eventually, uh, Blessed Peter Kibe was arrested. He was discovered as a priest, and he was brought to um, somebody who's, who was a real person, who's also a character in this novel and in the movie. In the movie, he's played by Liam Neeson. Uh, but a priest named Ferreira, who had been a Jesuit missionary to Japan, was captured and tortured, and under the pressure of torture, decided to renounce Christianity. And so he became a samurai, and his job was basically to try to convince Christians who were arrested to give up their Christianity by making these compelling intellectual arguments. I guess, if you can't be a Christian, the next best thing is to be a samurai. So, understandable. So, when Blessed Peter Kibe, this Japanese man, who had gone through so much, met this European priest who had given up his priesthood and was trying to convince people to give up their Christianity, he just looked him in the eye, and he said, let us go to die together. There's another character uh, in the novel and in the movie who was a real person, this Japanese official named Inoue, um, whose job it was to sort of devise these awful tortures for Christians to undergo. He referred to Blessed Peter Kibe as the man who would never say, I give up. So Blessed Peter Kibe was put uh, under torture with other Christians, and eventually he was so encouraging to other Christians that they just had to take him away. They separated him from all the other Christians because they said, if we keep this guy around them, they're never going to give up. They're just, like, happy when they're around him. So we got to get rid of this guy. And the story ends the way you would expect that it ends. Uh, Blessed Peter Kibe uh, suffered for his faith and died but left this tremendous legacy. Um, and after the Japanese were, um, or after the Japanese kicked priests out a second time, there were no priests in Japan for about 250 years. When Japan opened back up in the 1850s, they discovered that there were Christians mainly around Nagasaki. There were people who for 250 years had said, we are waiting for men in black robes to come back. And they had Bibles, they were praying the Our Father, they gathered together on Sundays. So where does this leave us? If we give our lives over to Christ, does he take away our freedom? No. Does he make our lives boring? Definitely not. What he does do, when we offer him our gifts, is that he uses our gifts uh, to make himself known, to help other people to come alive in his grace, and he also shows us new gifts that we didn't know we had. And he gives us a grace, also an ability, to help other people understand what their gifts are. The communion of saints, we call it a communion, means that we are never alone. Because we're baptized, we have the life of the Trinity in us, and we are also never far away from these people, who are our friends, who we can call on any time if they seem like we might have something in common with them, or we might have nothing in common with Blessed Peter Kibe. 
But God wants to draw us into communion with them, into a kind of unity where we're wrapped tight as Christians and know that we're not alone, which is why when we come to the liturgy, when we approach the altar, what we ask for is, and what we receive is, holy communion.